What's going on, boys and girls? Welcome to the 9 by 9 Volleyball Show, the 81 square meters of the best volleyball coverage on the internet. It is Tuesday, May 17th. This is episode 28. My name's Rob St. Clair, live from Chicago. That's Everett DeLorem, live from Toronto. And Everett, we're handing out more trophies this week. There have been a lot, of, a lot of hardware handed out, and the 2021-2022 club season has come down to only one more thing. That is the CEV Champions League this coming week. And a lot more going on as we start to tilt our gaze toward the national team season. So you and Dan did a you, you did an episode on the Canada VNL roster just the other day yourself. And we did. You, and I did, you, yes. And then you and Dan did an episode, uh, a little bit about Italy, a little bit about VNL, a couple things just the other day. So uh, we're going to try not to overlap too much about what, what we're discussing. But first and foremost, we have to jump in. To Italy. Yeah, I mean, we, we've Dan and I talked about these things, but we want to hear what you think yes. about these things about these things as well. So, I mean, Dan and I have already already talked about this match a little bit on Saturday. But what were what were your impressions overall? Not only on this match, but Lube Lube in the entire series. Well, uh, Lube Chivinova wins yet another Scudetto after everything they went through after not being able to play Osmani Wantarena at all really the entire season like the heart and soul of their team wasn't able to play for them at all the whole season i don't think we we can overstate that and here they are still winning the scudetto in four like they 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 win the series convincingly and they win match number four at home three zero in a match that wasn't really all that close i mean 25 23 25 16 25 21 for the championship i mean that's not really all that competitive and I, I was really surprised by this because you had no Osmani Wantarena you didn't have Ivan Zaitsev and all that good of a day you went 9 for 25 with 6 errors uh, you had another Robert Landy Simone stat line 8 for 11 with 2 blocks but I mean Anzani good game 3 for 5 with 4 blocks but I mean only 7 points Yant was pretty good um, Lucarelli was fine 9 for 28 Like the, just none of the numbers really jump off the page to me about this about this fourth match uh, ace to air ratio for lube was fine uh five to ten is pretty good uh perugia though two for 12 and i think really this series isn't about isn't it's not quite as much about lube's victory for me even though they executed well in the matchup given the the hardship it's about perugia's inability to get this done Mm-hmm. You're this not is wrong. a this is a failure for Perugia, and you, absolutely. You guys talked about it well the other day. This is a failure for Perugia this season. This season is an absolute failure for them. They win the Italian Cup, however, they fail to even reach the finals in Champions League, and then mm-hmm. they get beat in four by a, a Lube team in the Scudetto final without Osmani Wantarena. They This Perugia team has no excuses. Everybody's healthy. They had that that incredible offseason. They brought in Gianelli. They brought in Anderson. They brought in Lyric Liskey. They had what we we think is a somewhat healthy Wilfredo Leon. At least he was able to play. And they were not able to get this done. I think that the real takeaway for me is that this is a failure for Perugia. Absolutely, it is. 100%. And I mean, as you said, Dan and I already discussed it. But uh, one big stat from the final game I want to bring up is uh, Camille Ruchlicki, who was really, you know, he... 
probably one of the most underrated guys and the best player for Perugia all throughout the playoffs, but but in this series as well. And he just didn't show up in this one. He had negative one of efficiency. Worst, negative efficiency of a minus one one one. He went five for eighteen. Like just a bad day for the the big man out of Luxembourg, right? And Against that's his old really, team, like come on, man, you yeah. got to play better than that. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, he, he should be the third option on this team. And continuously, he was the first option, right? Like, like hell, he should maybe even be the fourth option if you're considering, you know, Soleil in there, depending on how the, how good the serve receive is, right? Camille Richlicky is not the guy you should be relying on to lead you to a to lead you to his championship. He's a great second second option. He's a great secondary guy, but he's not going to lead you, right? So for me, it's like the other guys need to step up. Anderson with only like Anderson leading the way with only with twelve. Anderson, points. Anderson was their best player. He was the only player in double digits in scoring. Eleven for twenty six with only one error. He was by far their most efficient attacker and the only guy who could really do much of anything and didn't yeah. make all that many errors. Everybody but, else here was invisible. Yeah, but even his even Anderson's number being the best on the team aren't all that great, right? His no. kill percentage percentage only coming at thirty nine point three is 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 not fantastic right and even he i'm sure he would say that's 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 below average but the fact that he was leading on the team just says it just to me it just would look like perugia was depleted at that point they were tired and and they were out of it they had a long series against modena um you know and yeah ultimately complete and total failure on the perugia side of things but on the lube side of things you had the most dominant player in the world in um in robert landy simon who's Proved to us time and time again that he's not ready to retire anytime soon, and he's still the number one. And you had a Marlon Yant who's really, really come along and has become uh, just an all-around superstar. And you know, we're really seeing the the end of one generation of of athletes with the Wanteranas and and the Zaitsevs and and Simones and these guys, and the new younger generation uh, coming up with Yant and Mozic and and Micheletto. Uh, moving forward so well yeah we got to give ronnie some credit i know he's in the chat he wants us to to you know talk as much about cuban players as well we can never do that enough to satisfy that man but no, Robert ronnie simone with a well-deserved mvp of this series he's mm-hmm. the most dominant middle blocker i've ever seen nobody can take over a game like him nobody can own a matchup like him there's no x factor in that position that I've ever seen play the game and still he's, he's the Shaquille O'Neal of volleyball. Well, right? yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. That's the, like, and Shaquille in his prime and he has better longevity than Shaquille O'Neal because at this, right. at this age, right? Like what is, what is Simone? Like he's well into his thirties. He's right? 34 like, at he's, least. Yeah. Th- 34, 35. Ronnie, tell um, us in the chat how old he is. Yeah. Exa- th- yeah. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, in advance. But yeah, oh, Shaq was not putting up numbers like this. He was not in MVP form in th- at 34, 35, right. Right? right? And here Robert Landy Simone is doing it in volleyball nonetheless. Like that that's impressive. It's um, amazing. Yeah. It's truly amazing. And it's and Marlon Yet, I agree, is an up-and-coming superstar. You could make a very real argument for him or Micheletto or Mozic. Any of those three could be the best young prospect in the game. I, I would totally accept arguments for any of the three. Now, I still think uh, 35, June 11th. Okay, so I was right about 34 for Robert Lundy Simone. The, the problem with, with Cuba's national team is they have literally nobody else. They have Miguel, no they have Miguel Lopez, their, um, whoever plays opposite for them, second, middle, libero, and then especially setter are just invisible. So their national team is never going to be a factor, unfortunately, uh, especially considering they're not playing VNL. They can't afford to go anywhere. I mean, 
I can praise a couple of their players, but I'm not going to, I'm going to not going to sit here and praise their national team. And Ronnie knows this, but anyway, back to to wrap this up uh, and Ronnie, good point in the chat. Second three Pete in Italy uh, ever since in the rally scoring era, Lube winning last year and uh, winning in 2019, uh, having 2020 been canceled. And if this is the end of an era for Lube Civitanova, which it seems like it probably is, we know that Simone and Lucarelli both go into Piacenza. We heard earlier in the year that Wantarena is out uh, in the in the far east direction. Although well, we've actually, heard, heard a couple of rumors lately that maybe that won't quite be the case. Exactly. Whatever. Uh, Lube next year will not look like the same team. No. But this this run of pure dominance that this franchise has gone on, the only thing they're missing is the Champions League. They, and you could argue that they were the favorites to get that in 2020 when everything shut down. So credit to Lubitschi de Novo for winning this Scudetto after going down to Trentino in the semis like they did and all of us proclaiming them dead and gone. Yes. Resurrecting with. from that point is amazing. Really yeah. is. They were dead and done with. I dead. called it. I think you called it oh, too. Absolutely. We were both going for, uh, for Trentino. And man, they brought it back. And then they brought it back even harder against, against Perugia. A choking Perugia, you know, we 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 have to say that there's questions or not. There's not questions. There's definitely reports out there that there's a knee injury on Leon. He wasn't 100 percent healthy, so he even but, posted uh, on Instagram something like that. He's like, "This has been a hard season. I am not 100 percent. You you guys don't all exactly know what's going on with my body right now. I'm very roughly translating, but he said something to that effect. Yeah, and I, I does is this really going to wound his legacy? Maybe not. Uh, however, th- th- there's no one person for Perugia to place blame on here. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a failure top to bottom. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I mean, I, that is weird saying you, you finish second place, but just continuously finishing second place um, and and to Lube and the, the failures at the Champions League last year and this year. You know, it's it's going to put some questions and it, it's looking like they're trying to get, uh, you know, they're bringing in possibly Semenyuk. They're maybe trying to get a rid, rid of Rich Leakey, bring someone else in on, on the right side. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, I'm not sure how many, I guess, I guess Leon's still young, right? He's, yeah, he's, he's 28. Okay. He's 28. Got he's plenty he's, of his prime left. He's still got plenty, plenty time to, to, to win. So I'm not going to say it's, it's over for them because they have him extended, uh, but something, something's got to change. And uh, I'm not sure quite what it is because they've made so many changes. Maybe they just need to double down on what they've got. Who knows? Well, I totally agree with you. So uh, two other champions were crying in Europe this past week. Let's jump over yep. to the Turkish women. We talked about it on last week's show. Fenerbahce had a tremendous opportunity in game four. At home, up up two to one in the series, Ooh, up two yeah. zero in the match, up seventeen thirteen in the third set, and they, they blew can't. it. And just like you and Dan and I all predicted, once they Domination. failed to get that done, it was the series was Vakif Banks to lose. Sure enough, Vakif Bank at home with a pretty convincing three zero win. Congratulations, Vakif Bank! They win the Turkish domestic league title, and it, it was certainly very interesting in the finals, going the distance five games. But this particular fifth game was not very close. No, I mean, I'm surprised it went to five games in in the first place. It took some outstanding efforts from Melissa Vargas and uh, Federitseva, but at the end of the day, like Vargas and Federitseva, they put up both put up 14 points apiece in that in this one, and then the supporting pass was nowhere to be seen. Invisible, with, invisible, right? With the next highest player grabbing only four four points. So ultimately, like Fenerbahce 
was overextending themselves and overachieving by getting to this far, in, in, in my opinion, right? Off the backs of, as we said, some fantastic performances. And Vakufbank, you know, is, is a freight train. They are currently they are currently the number one team in the world, right? There's they no there's no there's no denying that. They just won their league. They won the World Club Championships. They got second at the Champions League last year, right? And now we're going to go for that final round uh, in the finals between Vakov Bank and Canigliano. And I cannot wait for this weekend. It is going to be absolutely phenomenal, right? Yeah, it's going to be great. Totally agree. There's there's really not that much more to say about this Vakov Bank performance because I think we said it all on last week's show. When Fenerbahce failed to get that, that done in Game 4, it was pretty much over. Vakov Bank comes in and seals the deal. They have now won, like Everett said, three of their four goals this year. They won the Club World Championship over Caneliano in Turkey. They won the Turkish Cup. They've now won the Turkish Domestic League for the second year in a row, at, at least. They probably won it several years before COVID as well. Now it's down to that one last thing. It's down to Champions League. We'll find out this Sunday, uh, and we'll preview that in just a second. But speaking of Champions League participants who are holding trophies above their head this week, Zaksa Kedjirz and Kojle wins the Bundesliga. They have done it again. Uh, they failed to do it last year, but they get their revenge against Jaszewski Vegil in four in the series. Uh, game four was dominant. I mean, this it wasn't close. It was it not close. close. 25-23, 25-17, 25-21. It was pretty similar to that to Ludo Brujo yeah, win. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, I actually thought that Perugia was going to be able to put up a fight against Lube. I thought we were actually going to go five. And this one, I had no, no such thought. Yeah, I no, no such thought at all. And like Zaxa is in fantastic form. We did see them falter a little bit this year, but they've really found their rhythm. And I mean, hey, we've been talking about where Slivka the entire this entire series, and he shows up with the 15 piece in, in this one, going 14 for 21. Not bad at all uh, for the very, uh, slippery, slippery lefty lefty over there, right? So, I mean, Zoxa is in really, really good form right now. Um, losing Norbert Huber is a big one, but we did see Rain, or Christ, uh, Christoph Reno come in in last year's Champions League final for David Smith and help them to that win. So you know that you're not losing too much by having Reynolds in there uh, instead of Nor- Norbert Huber. He's played in that the pr- pressure of a Champions League final before, so, he, so you know he can do it. But yeah, Zox is looking really, really good. And ultimately, uh, Hadrava and the boys just couldn't get it done uh, on the other side of the net. Yeah, that's that's a redundant the redundant sentence right there, Hadrava, and not getting it done. Uh, Only five points in this one. You'll, you'll be happy about that, Rob. Uh, congratulations to Eric Shoji and this whole team. I'm thrilled for them. I, I talked to Eric Shoji on last week's European volleyball show. It was the day after they had lost that game three against JW uh, to extend the series, and he... His confidence was still high. He was able to shake off that loss. He was confident his team was still able to, to get this done. And now their timing after winning this on, I think it was Saturday morning, American time. They're now with, yeah. with a full week to both prepare for Champions League but not really lose their game conditioning. That timing is going to work out, I think, pretty well for them. We'll talk about it in a second. Camille Semenyuk, Camille Semenyuk, well-deserved MVP of, of the Blue final. 19 points here, 15 for 22. 59% efficiency plus 54% positive passing and three blocks. Like the man it has a case for top five outside hitter in the world, if not even better than that. Now, Rob, qu- quick question in the chat here. If Semenyuk is possibly leaving to Perugia, are there any other outsides you could see fitting in into the Zaxa system? 
Um, it's a good question. So uh, I, I'm assuming that Sle- that Slivka is staying, which from everything yeah. I've heard is the case. So you you need someone that is t- to fill Semenyuk's role, which this year has been a little bit more of a of a high ball scoring capable guy. You need someone who's good at everything. You need a, you need a good receiver, a good server, somebody who can score against triple blocks, and that because you need a P one. Oh, you, you need you need a you, true true a true P one L one outside hitter. Yeah, a guy who can score against triple blocks who can be uh the the engine of your offense if you're not going to be able to run it like tony Udi speeds if you're going to run it at yano's speeds you need that guy um who could that be i honestly don't know um, I, have a, I have a few ideas yeah let's hear it first and foremost the man who really carried um jw in the series thomas for now right uh, I think that's he, the first guy that came to my mind he, uh, another he, polish guy doesn't count against the foreigner limit he's that that archetype of player i could see it i could see or it. or you've already got, always also got bed uh bed norsh the second um, guy i thought of in in, in zenit kazan right it's, who, it's, i've heard that he's leaving for he, I mean, he, obvious he might be he might be leaving as well i did see rumors about from Pasini, but i think they were maybe the ones that we shouldn't uh <laughs> um uh, remember, oh, who's who's the guy? Shalpuk. That uh, Shalpuk would be getting picked up by yeah, Zaxa. That's I not don't a good see him. No, no, I don't see. Well, like maybe as a bench player, maybe to come off the bench, like. But I don't see him replacing Semenyuk whatsoever. No, not even um, So I mean, even like a player like Facundo Conte, who was in Poland, he's already signed to go back to Argentina next year. Right. So, uh, lol, they should just sign Anderson. Mm, I don't know about that. I think Anderson is is going to uh, out East Asia. I think he um, is as well. That would that would be the right player fit if Anderson switched his mindset about being a scorer, which for Perugia he had very had a very very clear L two mindset. He would have to change his mindset absolutely. back he, to when he started on the national team. I don't know if Anderson can be that guy anymore. You know, I don't think he. he so can, I don't think he can be that dominant scorer uh, that that we've seen in the past. The guy who can take over matches with just pure sheer power and athleticism. I don't. Here's think a he, name. He, here's he a name for guy. you. Let, let, let me know. Let me know how you would float this on Zaxa. Aaron Russell. How about it? He's don't a P one. If, if I don't mind, I mean, I think it's. I think it's a huge Aaron stretch. I think it's a huge stretch considering the fact that Aaron Russell has basically not played professional volleyball for the past two years and three years, if you consider like the 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 COVID year. Um, however, you know he does have that that type of a, of, a, of ability. Um, what they would also have to give up a foreigner. Well, right now, all they have is a foreign middle and a foreign libero. How, what's the cap in, in Poland? Three? You, you get three. Yeah, you need four Polish guys. So right now, they they have one to play with, and they could hypothetically bring in a foreigner. Uh, that would be very interesting. And I I don't see somebody Polish other than Tomasz Fornal who can even come close to filling that Semenyuk role. So they might have no. to go to somebody non-Polish. I'm curious to see it, but uh, what we should be focusing on is what's coming up this weekend. The Champions League Finals. There are two more matches left in the entirety of European club season, and that's the Champions League Women's Finals and the Champions League Men's Finals. And so we... Some quick essentials first before we dive into the matchups. Vakif Bank versus Corneliano is at noon Eastern time this Sunday, May 22nd. Immediately after that, Zaxa versus Trentino, the men's Champions League final at 3 p.m. Eastern, also this Sunday. Both going down, same gym in Ljubljana, Slovenia. 
uh, with fans in the stands, which is phenomenal. Uh, the CV always does a great job of producing the Super Finals, putting both matches in the same day, same gym. Uh, to so- watch this, Eurovolley.tv. Uh, you can pick up a cheap subscription to that to watch this one match or uh, the CV YouTube channel behind like a little membership paywall. You'll also be able to watch it there. Uh, not geo-blocked in either place. So you shouldn't have a problem paying a couple bucks only and being able to watch both these matches. Can't wait. Um, if you have a subscription though to uh, uh, Eurovolley TV, you already get to go? Mm-hmm. Great. Correct. I cannot wait. Um, real quick before we get started, are we doing anything for it? Do you want to do like a a, a live a, a live show for it uh, a, a live watch along part a party? I I would rather just jump in voice chat on the Discord. Uh, Ooh, it's a, that a, too. That an aspect too. of the Discord that I think we don't do nearly enough. And I remember uh, last year during the Champions League finals how electric it was. So I think that's the move. Everybody flocked it to was. the Discord. We had a gigantic influx of people come into the yeah, Discord we, today. It was crazy. Uh, crazy. We are uh, like well above a four hundred and twenty uh now like uh, it was a crazy influx i don't know why uh that I think happened. It got linked on the volleyball subreddit for people who are sick of that cesspool of a community and wanted to talk about real volleyball that's okay let's not attack it and say that it's a cesspool, of it community. Is a cesspool. you know what if it's there if, if, if there's if it's there then it's a useful part i i guess uh however we are we just serve a different purpose and, and a different function we like to talk about real volleyball uh like these two matches here which are funnily enough the exact replay of what we had last season um, which is really crazy i i that's which has never happened before there's never been two rematches ever in champions league and it's very and I mean, rare that you even get one yeah and i mean on the women's side to be expected yeah right let's 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 be honest here uh it's what we would expect uh from from these two teams are the best two teams in the world as as we saw the club world championships but on the men's side um i didn't foresee any either of these teams coming through well whatsoever right like trentino making that comeback is absolutely massive zaxa doing it as well too is phenomenal uh but not teams i would have suspected agreed and uh yeah we've, we've talked about it a lot already with the, these teams of both trentino especially has really had a roller coaster of a season we'll break down the men's then the women's so my, my thing about trentino because we were so high on them after they beat perugia in that champions league semifinal, one of the great series really of all time it was just just ridiculous, like two five-setters plus a golden set, and Trentino got that done. It was just incredible. Then they uh, they look like they're going to just wax Lube Civitanova in the semifinals in Italy before completely choking that series away. And now my, my feeling on them going into this is completely different than it was when we found out that they were going to the finals again. First of all, they haven't played real volleyball in like three weeks. And I talked to Matej Kaziski like two weeks ago, shortly after they lost to Lube, and they had now this really long gap of time between their last match and the super finals. And it's very difficult to engineer that schedule. How do you, do you give some rest? How do you get the guys back in the gym? How do you get the guys back in the volleyball practice setting? How do you scout? Like how do you, how do you fill three weeks of dead time to make sure that your team is ready to go for first serve of one match. That's a crazy part about this is that like all of Champions League and all of Italy and all these other playoff situations these teams are in, they're series. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in Champions League is at least it's it's two matches. In Italy it can be as many as five. This is one match. You have no time to 
you know, get your feet wet and understand the matchup. If you do that, you're down one set to none and you're on the ropes. You cannot afford to do that. So after a three-week layoff, with Trentino having some serious highs and some serious lows in the last month, month and a half, how are they gonna how are they gonna come in and be ready to play when first serve happens in a matchup that that they haven't seen yet this year? That's that's my my concern on their side. For Zaxa, like I said, I think their timing is is infinitely better. They just won Way their better. they just won their domestic title. They've uh, they're they're in shape. They're they're in game speed, but they've also got a week to study for the matchup. You've got a, a good couple days to simulate Trentino the best you can in practice before you have to travel to Slovenia, and that is huge. If they, if this had gone game five and they would have had to play against JW again on like Tuesday, they would have had like two days to prepare for Trentino. And that's not enough, but because they have like five ish before they have to travel, uh, that that's that's a lot better to me scheduling wise. I would expect Zaxa to start the match better um, just because of that alone. My concern though is losing Norbert Huber. They already had a disadvantage in the middle versus Fresco Lisnats and Marco Podrasinen. And even though I I do have some faith in Kristoff Reno having been in, been there before, but him and David Smith will get just physically physically outmatched by the Trentino middles that's that's not really even debatable so they kind of needed that that force that is Norbert Huber in the middle to at least kind of anchor some things down give him more of a presence on offense just add a little size and even though David Smith got was able to get this done in this matchup last year I think this is a very different team and I think Trentino has that middle advantage however just to wrap this up my pick is Zaxa Uh, I think Zaxa at this point is going to win this match they are the, the, the timing thing is is really a huge deal to me. I, I would be shocked if they didn't come out and win that first set just because of their their you know the how more how much more recently they've played championship level volleyball in in a real like tournament setting. And they're a better passing team. Uh, they're a better passing team, and their ace to error ratio as a team is better. Uh, I wish we had Dan here to give me some volumetrics numbers on that. But Trentino, as good as an, of an all-around team as they are, are not that good of a serve reception team. And if Zoxa can put on a little service pressure, they immediately take that Trentino middle advantage out of the game. And I think they've got the better three wings, top to bottom, than Trentino does. So Zoxa's my pick. I would disagree with you in, in saying that Trentino isn't a good passing team. I would say that they're a very solid pa- passing team. Um you know what? Dan isn't the only one with a uh, uh, a volumetrics uh, account. So, so let me pull pull that up real quick. According to, according to the Italian stats, Trentino twenty two point six percent perfect on the year, point one three passing efficiency. That's bottom half of the Italian league. Okay, maybe, okay, maybe 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 the stats ha- have me wrong, but the eye test tells me that they're that they're uh, pretty good. The eye test um, isn't, isn't a good a good thing for serve reception. It, yeah, it, you're, you're not wrong. The numbers, the best passing teams in Italy, by the way, Piacenza, Perugia. Um, shockingly enough, Vibo Valencia's passing efficiency is reasonably high. Um, Toronto, kind of a surprisingly good passing team. All those teams pass the ball better than Trentino does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kaczynski was only passing at like a. Oh, like passing like a 1.98 and Micheletto was passing a 205. Yeah, um, I would expect so and Zanger, where's, where's Zanger, Zanger is a, is a very, good, very good defender, but not that good of a serve reception. Yeah, okay, I, you're, you're not wrong. I think that Zox has got a real advantage there because uh, like Shoji Semenyukin, like the fact that this year, 
Alexander Schliefer has been their weakest passer, and we know that he can be world class. That is definitely an advantage for Zaxa. Has to absolutely. I, and to be honest, like I think Zaxa is just going to be able to put so much pressure on Trentino, and we've seen what can happen to them when when another team is really pushing pushing the pressure. Um, but I do agree with you that Norbert Huber could be a, a big hole down the, down the middle for them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because we saw Lube really dominate uh, Zaxa with speed. Right, they ran right. it fast to the pins, and then they forced one on ones for for Simone down down the middle. Right, they were really extending the blocking of uh, of Trentino. So it's going to be interesting to see. Like like this isn't Tony Uti we're talking we're talking about. This is Janusz. Great point. So he's he's setting a much high much a higher offense than Tony Uti's playing. A much less varied offense. Sure, they're having success this year because you've got fantastic players. Like you said, you you mentioned it. I don't think it's an outright like these three wings are better than uh, like Zox's three wings are better than Trentino's three wings. I think it's pretty close, but I would give the edge to uh, Zoxa mainly because they have Kashmarik. Like they have three guys in uh, traditional roles. You have a tr- traditional P1, a traditional P2, and a solid solid right side. Um, but like Janusz is going to be running a slower offense, and he's not going to have that big that big presence in the middle. So Trentino could could. Uh, catching on that you're 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 right there yeah and so just a couple of those individual matchups i want to point out we've talked about the wings it's it's really a toss-up i think daniele lavia is a key when when trentino's been good this year he's played well he's got to be good and when and when he was kind of injured there like in that loss to piacenza and then um towards the the end of that lube series for sure he was just invisible and trentino Mm -hmm. was terrible without some kind of right side presence so that's that's the 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 double-edged sword that is the three outside hitter system is when you don't have a guy on the right that you can throw the ball to. Uh, the opposing blocker's job is just infinitely easier. It, it takes half the court away, literally. Um, yeah. I think I think the setters are honestly kind of a toss-up. I'd put Spertoli and Janusz pretty similarly ranked in my in my list of world setters. Uh, I've got Shoji over Zanger for sure. I've got yep. the Trentino middles over the Zaxa middles for sure. And then I've got Lorenzetti as a coach uh, over Kretsu for Zaxa. I think um, if, if there's one system, if there's one club and coaching staff that can organize a three-week layoff to have their team peaking at the right time and understanding the matchup, it's probably Trentino. Uh, so I think they've got that advantage there. But Zaxa is still my pick. I'm going to say 3-1, just like last year. All right, fair enough. So... Uh, just a little bit of history here. Trentino hasn't beat Zoxa since March 28th of 2015. Um, and the past three results have, have been to Zoxa. 3-1, uh, 3-2, and 3-2. Um, but if you look at the betting on this one over at Unibet, Zoxa's the underdog. Really? At 2.25 points. Uh if if you're going by the decimal the decimal system, and here let's let's switch it to American for for anyone uh, going like that, um, yeah, Zox is the plus one hundred twenty five uh, underdog really? in this one. So I'm uh, really surprised by that. Yeah, I I am I am as well. Okay, well that's that's pretty good money on Bet US if you want to put that in there because I, I I think Zox is going to win this match. Who what's your pick, Everett? Oh, I think Sox is like I'm going to literally bet on this match uh, as soon as <laughs> as soon as this uh, this is over because like Zoxa at, at that level like 
this is this is what I'm talking about. Like volleyball, volleyball betting could be so lucrative because the odds makers just don't know volleyball. Right, they don't get like, it. <laughs> I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm definitely like I'm like all the all the odds here for me are are, are pointing to uh, Zoxa. So okay, uh, yeah, so we both I, got absolutely. Zoxa. We both got Zoxa. Uh, congratulations then to Trentino on winning the 2022 Champions League because uh, last week you and I, you you Dan and I all said that uh, Perugia Lube was going to Game Five and then. Lube just pounded them in the fourth game and, and won the and won the championship. So you know uh, our our picks have not been the hottest on this show, but I, we're both on Zoxa, and um, I'm confident in that right now. Yeah, me me, me too. All right, um, let's talk but, about uh, the women's. Oh, so yeah. Vaca Bank versus Corneliano. Boy, is this interesting? It's way spicier, way Wait. spicier than 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 uh, than the, the men's in this one. The whole saga. It's been leading up to this for the entire year. We saw it last year. Since last year, we we saw it in Club World Championships. It's it's been more than any time in volleyball that I've really ever seen. It's been these two teams. The and, entire world has been about these two teams and the fact that after absolutely. this year they're switching opposites. From everything we know right now, two of the best players in the world are switching teams straight up. So this is the end of an era for both of them with the, with building their teams around uh, Corneliano Paola Egonu and Vakapenk Isabel Hawk. Yeah. So those two, uh, I, I, I still give the edge to Paola Egonu because I remember having the same Ooh. take. I remember having the same take on, on last year as we were talking about this matchup. You cannot, you cannot set up your defense or do anything to defend against Paola Egonu. You cannot do it. It's not possible. You can kind of set up your defense against Isabel Hawk. You can kind of, kind of, uh, if you take the line away from her, make her angle to the deep position one corner longer to score and roll your position six defender, kind of like the way you defend Tiana Boscovich. Like th- that's why I, in my world opposite rankings, it's Igonu, Hawk, Boscovich in that order. Because in the Olympics, we saw Team USA do this exact thing. They, they totally overloaded their block to Boscovich's side. They took the line away from her, and they shifted position six in defense like over to the deep corner in zone one. And they, they totally shut her down. Isabel Hawk is better than that. She, can, she is a better line attacker and can score off the block better. But you can kind of, kind of set up your defense in a way to make her a little more uncomfortable. You cannot do that against Paula Igonu. She is unstoppable. She goes straight over the top of people and she hits every shot. She has, she's got two to two. Like that, that two to two shot, she, she should trademark a name after herself for how ridiculous she hits it. So you can't stop her. You can hope that she has a, a day where she makes more errors than she should. Where I think Vakabeng has an advantage is Gabi. Uh, Gabi, I trust way more than any outside hitter or combination of outside hitters that Caneliano can put out there. I just haven't seen the consistency from Plummer, Sila, Courtney, whoever it is. I have not seen the consistency there. And uh, Barch Hackley, uh, as, as the L2 for Vakabank, who's been pretty bad lately, she's been there before and understands her role. I, don't, I trust that pair of outsides for Vakabank a lot more than I do Caneliano's. Yeah, I mean, basically, you just said it all. Um, I don't think Hawk is as good as Agonu, right? In that battle, Agonu is always going to win. But Havakov Bank is an entire team, right? You don't think Guidetti is over there in Istanbul watching every single video of Canigliano throughout these playoffs? Watch how teams like Monza have 
basically eliminated Plummer from the offense at times, eliminated Sila all altogether, and really made Agano work for it. Like that's how they beat them in the Club World Championships, and that's how like I'm not as confident how is how far is it going to go for for Canigliano as I was last year, right? And I think that in this one, Vakov Bank maybe wants it a little bit more. Well, like, well, I think they I, do I, too. I, like, I, I think they just want it a, a little bit more. Having lost it, like, I think they want to really, like, like, cement themselves as one of the best teams in history. Um, and I ultimately, I think, I think this team wants to prove that they can do it without Agonu. I think that they want to that they they, they they want to go out there and prove that they can be the best team in the world without the best player in the world. And then it's going to be like Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, and they're just going to make an absolute super team that no one can touch, right? Because if they can go out there and beat Canigliano and cement it with the Club World Championship, winning the Turkish Cup, winning the the, the Turkish League and Champions League, like boom, that's like the best team in history. And they did it, beating the best one of the best players ever in history. Like as young as Agonu is, she's already cemented as one of the best female volleyball players we've ever seen in this on this planet, right? No one has been able to do what she's done, and she's still so young, right? She could transcend this sport ultimately at the at the end of her her career, right? She is a bona fide Hall of Famer, but if Akif Bank can beat her. And twice in one year, in the two biggest games of the year, legendary, legendary. And you have know that Guidetti in this team is chasing after that. So I don't know. Like it's 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 gonna be interesting. Interesting in in this one. It really comes down to if, if uh, Catherine Plummer shows up or not. That's that's the big that's the big one for me. I I think that's a huge key as well because I think honestly in the middle they're pretty balanced. Uh, Foley and Decroy for Corneliana versus Ugbogu and Gunesh for Vakif. I think that's pretty balanced. Uh, I think Corneliano has both a setter and a libero advantage uh, in Volos and De Gennaro. I think Volos is better than Ozby, not by t- not by much. I definitely think Dejanaro is better than Aicha Aikach. But yeah, that second outside her or one of the two outside hitters for Corneliano has got to be on her game consistently that day. And it's probably got to be Catherine Plummer. So mm-hmm. that that might be the key to the matchup. Uh, and, and you're right. If, if Akifben gets this done and they win all four of their championships that they play in this year, that will be the storyline. They had one of the greatest seasons of all time. And they beat in the in two of the most meaningful tournaments. They beat the best player in the world to win Club World Championship and Champions League. That will be the legacy defining thing for this team if they get that done. My pick is Caneliano. Uh, I, I I believe in the singular dominance of Paola Egonu as the best player in the world. She did it last year. Uh, a, a team that by that point, like they that this team around her last year was better than they are this year. But that that Champions League final last year, it was it was the Palagona show as it always is, and she delivered as she always does. Uh, I have faith in this Corneliano team. I think that they're going to figure it out coaching wise. I think they've got little advantages elsewhere, and I think Santarelli is in for a coaching masterpiece. Corneliano's my pick. I'll pick it in five again, just like last year. All right, fair enough. Um, well, Vegas agrees with you. Okay. As uh, Canigliano uh, is the favorite in this one, only only slightly. Uh, if you're going by the decimal system, uh, 1.65 uh, money line on Canigliano, 210 for Vakov Bank. Okay. So yeah, 
I you can't disagree with that. However, I mean they did win the last time. Like Ivanka Bank did win the last time these these two teams played, right? So also, damn this these went the last four times these two teams have played. It's gone to five. Yeah, I I, I was gonna say that's that club world championship final was a five setter last year champions league was five setter that's yeah uh you sense a theme here uh yeah, yeah. absolutely so, sorry are you, are you gonna pick vodka bank you know what i'm gonna pick vodka bank all right i want to see the legacy i want to see the quadruple i want to see them win win it all i want them see want to see them beat the best the best player in the world um Part of me is absolutely terrified for picking Vakuf Bank because I know what Paolo Ogonu is capable of. And I feel like she's going to do one of her sleeper cell things like she did last year in the Champions League finals, where she just falls up, like falls away for a couple of sets and then shows up again in the in the fifth set. But absolutely, I think Vakuf Bank has proved this season that they can do it. They've upgraded uh, in certain areas, and I think that they can take it. Okay, uh, I like that we're that we're not picking the same thing in both matches. It's going to be really fun. So again, noon Eastern, the women's match on Sunday, three p.m. Eastern, the men's match. It's going to be it is literally must watch TV. This is the Super Bowl of club volleyball. This is as good as it gets. You must, must, must block off your Sunday to watch these matches. It is a massive deal, and the Discord will be popping off. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah so it should, it should be a good one. I mean, I know you want you want to jump in the uh, the voice chat, but I do think if we did a live show on uh, like YouTube or Twitch or something, that would be fun too. But we can we can discuss it off air. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. So uh, before we jump into national team, because we've got some some VNL roster news to go over, uh, I want to talk about the volleyball league of America because boy, did we have a tournament over the weekend. Wow, uh, the 2022 VLA Cup featured 44 matches. 44 in three days uh, in Northeast Indiana, 19 teams, because we had the 20th one team drop at the last minute. Uh, 19 teams came to Loy Ball's gym in Northeast Indiana, and Hawaii's Emi Ola walked away with the cup. So the state of Hawaii is having a pretty good couple weeks after winning uh, yet another NCAA men's championship and then winning this tournament. This was ridiculous. The the upsets, the, the level of volleyball that was played in this VLA Cup was off the charts, and the ESPN broadcast uh, in my humble opinion, just we, we, we knocked it out of the park for having done it the first time ever. Uh, I can't wait to put out more highlights. It, it was it was just amazing. And uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in. Uh, here's a picture of the victorious Hawaii team. They were just ridiculously good. I picked up some young superstar sort of ringers. Uh, MVP Kyle Hobus from Cal State Northridge. They had just more size and raw firepower than the Milwaukee Dive, who they played in the in the semi or played in the finals, and Milwaukee was a fun team to watch to get there because their style couldn't have been more different. They were super defensive. They were not a good blocking team. They're not a good serving team, but they're unbelievable in backcourt defense, and they're probably the smartest team top to bottom that I've ever seen. So they're just brilliant at making the right choices. And Tyler Wills for them is is their best player on the outside and might be the most underrated player in the VLA, but. The raw power of Hawaii was able to get past them in the finals. It was a thriller. Uh, we're we're going to pump out a bunch of highlights to check out the VLA for that. I wanted to put this clip out because this was – so this was on Saturday morning when we had three courts going. And I'm not kidding you. When, when, this, when this play happened, all three courts just stopped. This sucked the gravity right out of the gym, and there was a legitimate standing ovation for Akin Akin Wumi of Pepperdine for this play. 
so filthy. Like he had to have hit it, hit, hit that with the fist. And like, why not in that situation, right? Just pound at it. That was, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Oh, just disgusting. No, just complete disregard for the rules. Just walking on the court as, as you feel. <laughs> Because what an absolute bounce. It that was, was so gnarly. Oh was the sport God. court okay? Did uh, it break? Uh, it probably did. I, I don't know if Lloyd's gym will ever be the same. Yeah, that, that was the greatest overpass bounce I have ever seen. Like, not even close at, at any level. And I've seen some some dudes fist balls, like, ridiculously straight down and borderline pop the ball on impact. But this, like, let's just watch it again. God. That's absolutely filthy. filthy, filthy, filthy. Now, Rob, I I do have a question for you. Get real. Oh it, is God. is it a, is it a worry for the VLA? Everett, you ask me the same question every time we talk about the VLA because you don't watch the games. You just see a tier two team win every tournament and you complain about it. No, no I'm not. I'm not complaining fantastic. about it. I I'm not complaining. That's exactly like. That's exactly and I give what you I'm the saying, same like... answer every time. This is fantastic for the league. There's so much good volleyball being played everywhere that we can't promote these great teams to Tier 1 fast enough. The, the, both these teams that played in the finals, Emiola and Dive, came into existence this year, and they already are playing in the finals of this tournament. That is a good thing. There are incredible teams popping up all over the country, and they beat so many great teams, all the Tier 1 teams, like the Chicago Icemen, the only ones to make it to the semifinals, and Milwaukee beat them in four on Sunday morning. The, the Tier 2 model is thriving. It's fantastic. But these teams are popping up out of nowhere and getting their organizations and their players together this quickly to compete at this level. It's so, so, so good. And you're going to see all these teams promoted in the next couple of years as, as the process uh, fills itself out but it is so good for the, this tier two model to have teams come in and play at this level so early it's fantastic so what my, my real question is what happens to those steadfast tier one teams like are they going to go out and get and get other players have to. Are, are they gonna are, are they gonna level up because you know i'm seeing these teams that you know you yourself have told me for you know the Icemans and the pineapples and the ascensions the guys who really started started up this league um, you know, even just looking here, like I'm, I'm on your website and none of the tier one teams who are leading have cup wins. Um, so how many of these teams from tier two are going to be bumped up into, into tier one? Well, that's, that's what the process is all about. Depending on what division you're in, like East, West or central, it takes a certain number of tournament wins or a certain number of points. Like, you know, you get three points for winning a match in three or four, you know, uh, it takes a certain number of points or a certain number of tournament wins to get promoted. Um, the first one will probably come from the central because we've only got two teams in tier one central and three in the east and three in the west. So you only need mm. 50 points to get promoted in the central, whereas you need 100 in the east and the west just so we can keep those numbers balanced. Uh, the race to get promoted in the central is pretty electric. And Chicago Swede had a one year head start because they played last year and they got some points that carried over. But Milwaukee coming into existence this year has already caught them. And I, I think that I think that dive if they win tier two championships, they're going to be at 49 points. They'll be one point away going into the offseason. So one of those two teams is get is they're not going to get promoted this offseason. 
but it's going to happen almost immediately next year for like one of them to claim that spot. And then the target will change from 50 points to 100. So that's how the promotion works. And it's going to be electric, like the race to get there. And then in, in the East, even like Cleveland won a tournament. They could win tier two championships, win another tournament, which counts as a cup win. And if they win one next year, they're promoted immediately too. Like it's, it's not, it's not the, the, the path to getting promoted is faster than I thought it was going to be. When we set the targets, I thought it was going to take a long time, but these tier two teams are coming in and playing so well and they get bonus points. They get a bonus point when they beat tier one teams. So like Milwaukee beating Chicago in four was worth four points instead of three. Okay. So, so they, they're getting even more points because of how well I like that system. Yeah. Because of how like well they're playing against tier one teams. Like, the model is so dope. I'm so I'm so thrilled with how the league has put this together. The model is so awesome, Re- rewarding quality of wins and quantity of matches played. And so there, there's going to be promotion, and the the tier one is going to be shaken up in the next year, definitely two. And the tier one teams are going to have to keep up because you're right. Uh, one of them is yet to win a cup series tournament, and uh, they so it it can you could argue that it waters down tier one championships. Uh, because they can't come into VLA Cup and win a tournament. So that's going to be a storyline for sure. But the growth of the league and the the product that these teams in these matches put on ESPN on Sunday was unprecedented for men's volleyball in the U.S. So it was a huge success for us. Is is that because, you know, f- from what I've I've learned, you know, talking to you over, over this, this time, is that because those traditional powers in the VLA – uh, might be aging a little bit more. Yeah, you know they're they're from the days of of yonder a little bit, um, and they are older squads. Whereas like these new upstart teams are guys who are fresh out of college or you know a few years removed from pro. That absolutely has a lot to do with it. Yeah, uh, the team pineapple rebuild has been pretty well documented because they dominated everything. Like when the PVL was the only thing that there was to play in the U.S. from like twenty thirteen mm-hmm. through sixteen ish. Uh, team Pineapple won every tournament they played. They they were untouchable, even with Lloyd Ball in his 40s setting the team. But those guys that were the core of that team have all aged out. So they're in a well-established rebuild. And they were a disappointment this weekend because they brought in Jalen Penrose. They brought back Pellegrin Vargas. Like They had a really good team. And after they lost to Emiola in pools, um, they, they couldn't get anything done in the bracket. They got upset by the Phoenix Ascension in five on Saturday morning. So disappointment for them. The Phoenix rebuild is well-documented as well because a lot of their guys, there was some serious overlap with the guys that played in Arizona but also played for Ruckus and all those guys who since left and gone to play for Ruckus. So uh, Ascension made the run of the tournament, honestly. They beat Pineapple in five. They beat Swede in four, who's probably better than them, uh, before losing to the Icemen. So that they had a great run. Their rebuild might be going a little faster than I thought. The tier one teams that should be winning these tournaments are Chicago and New York, uh, Iceman and Team LVC. And LVC just didn't have the guys this weekend, but Chicago choked in the semifinals for sure. Uh, They have proven that in big moments and big matches, they haven't been quite able to get it done. They definitely choked back in Chicago earlier this year in the Central Cup, and they kind of choked in this one. So I expect more out of that team. But you're absolutely right with a lot of the tier one teams that built their foundations to found the league around players that were aging out that's definitely part of it i mean it must be a huge upset for those guy dive guys out of milwaukee to beat the big club from uh, from chicago that was a big deal game. that was a big deal i mean chandler north is the guy's name that founded the milwaukee dive team and he and tyler wills their best player played for chicago last year when they won tier one championships and this year rather than driving two and a half hours to go to practice 
from like Wisconsin to Illinois, they form their own team and it comes full circle by them beating them in the semifinals on ESPN. Like it's, you couldn't write a better story. Are you seeing that the traditional powers in, in volleyball, like the Illinois and the Californias and obviously Hawaii's are producing the best teams at this point? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, like Ruckus and Emiola from the West Coast and from Hawaii have, have been have been dominant, and Chicago in, is, has controlled the Midwest. And then Team LVC out of New York isn't as much of a New York team as they are just a general East Coast team. So they they, they attract all the players, the best players from the East Coast, and they definitely own that region. It's very much like that. And the teams are doing a great job of attracting the talent from those regions to come and play for them. Uh, but the the rise of the Milwaukee dive is cool for the league, not only because they're popping up so quickly and being so good, but their play style, uh, they're annoying to play against. They, they dig balls they shouldn't dig. They put balls away in transition that they shouldn't score on. And they, they, they kind of annoy you to death. Like they got destroyed by Chicago and set one of that semifinal, like 25, like 16. It wasn't even close. And they came back and, and beat them with just more maturity and more like volleyball IQ. And it was, I would have been so mad playing against that team, but their play style is, is fascinating to watch and that they, they can do that so quickly and be so good. I mean, Hey, that's, it's awesome that you've got so many teams who are going out there and, and, and winning championships. Are we going to be see a, a, see a third tier, um, jumping in there eventually yes yeah absolutely we, we want a, a third tier like because tier two right now is like you must be maxing out like no, i'm looking at the number of teams here there's, there's never a maximum but I, what tier two right now is full of two kinds of teams there's the ones that are getting started and are really good right away and want to get promoted to tier one and then there's those that are just doing it because it's fun and that they're they're not going to get that many points they don't have the talent they don't have the organizations yet that will eventually separate itself out, and then uh, tier tier three will be more of like a local oriented thing where we just kind of run local tournaments, um, where which every region does. We can put them all under the VLA umbrella to really grow it in in the regions, uh, which is awesome. Oh, yeah, because you guys are you guys are affiliated with the USAV, right? Kind of. Uh, we're more affiliated kind of. with, with AAU and 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 Junior Volleyball Association, USA Volleyball. Okay as we'll talk about in just a moment, is a disaster of an organization. And uh, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Rob. Well, I mean, they're about to put the reigning Olympic champions on display in Shreveport, Bossier City, Louisiana. So that Uh-oh. tells we're you gonna, we're going to open that, 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 can of, that can of worms, eh? Um, let's, let's jump into it. Like, not, not that thing in particular, because I don't want to go on that rant again. I already did that on the show. Okay. But I, I think since you well, and Dan re- already... Real quick, I do want to wrap up a little bit. I do have one more question about VLA. Yeah, please. When like is this is this season done now? Like is this the the end of this season, or nope. how how many more events do we have? To... Not yet. Uh, two weeks from now, uh, we'll be in Long Beach and SoCal for the last West Division regular season event. So that'll okay. decide who makes the playoffs for Tier One. Then we got Tier Two championships. We'll be in Chicago in June, and Tier One championships also in Chicago in July. So we're handing out some hardware there three events left but none of them will be as big as this like 19 team monster we did this past weekend fair enough man i mean hey the tier two championships are possibly if not definitely more spicy than the tier one championship yeah there's a lot on there's more on the line because if you win that tournament it counts as a cup win towards promotion so uh that that there is a lot more on the line there than just winning the season for tier one i'd say oh that should uh should be a lot of fun i'm i'm i won't lie i did uh I did maybe have some preliminary conversations with people this weekend regarding a uh, a possible uh, 
2022-2023 team coming out of out of Toronto. So that's what we're talking about. We'll, we'll we'll see we'll see if we we can make it happen. But we've got a lot of talent up here uh, up here in the six. And uh, I, I mean, I think do. I think you know, just like the Chicago Milwaukee region, you could probably have a few teams coming in from Southern Ontario if you guys want to add some uh, international flavor. But as many uh, as many as you boys can field that can come across the border, we are down. I, I want it to be like the NHL in how international it is between the canada and the states would, would you guys be open to having events hosted in toronto sure yeah if they'll if they'll allow us to travel there absolutely yeah i think the the travel stuff is is done is it not i hope so i mean we'll find out in a couple of weeks as we go to ottawa oh yeah true um but yeah but that being said let's let's jump over to to, to some vnl stuff um we're definitely going to be this is going to be a long episode for sure uh, because we want to talk about uh, the VNL VNL rosters here. Are we going to do men? You want to do men and women for for the USA? Yeah, I think I think we should do women first because I think it'll be 100%. quicker. Uh, there's there's not really all that much to talk about here. So just to set the stage for VNL rosters, you guys already talked about this. You and Dan on on the podcast the other day, as for like a, in the world, we're kind of looking at all the world rosters on the men's side, like notable omissions notable inclusions and then you did the show for canada so we'll focus on the usa rosters here yeah uh, let's here do this that. evening so usa women reigning vnl champions reigning olympic champions they've won everything there is to win have uh, they've just tried to fill a couple of holes so they lose feluke akinrata at retirement they lose jordan larson to retirement and they lose michelle michelle barch hackley to semi-retirement um national she, team retirement yeah i think she's done with the national team and i know she's taking a break from club she might not even play club next year so we'll see what happens with her career kim hill retired we knew that but other than that they're bringing back all the olympians so you've got Haley washington shaka bogu and then up and coming dana retke in the middle for this foreseeable future micah hancock jordan poulter lauren carlini setting for the foreseeable future carlini's back interesting yeah, Carlini's back in the mix. You got Catherine Plummer, who wasn't on the Olympic team, but obviously she's she's the next big thing. Uh, you've got who who else at the outside is high in my depth chart? Uh, See that that's... Kelsey Robinson is still around. Uh, she gets slept on a lot. Uh, Danny Drews, a couple of younger players. Danny Drews, Kara Bayama, uh, Ali Franti, who had a good season in Kieri. Uh, Maddie Kingdon, who played for Thy, that Sarah Wilhite, like those are that's the one hole. Like, who's that second outside hitter going to be? Because they're obviously going to build around Catherine Plummer for the future. I think it'll be Kelsey Robinson. Uh, I think that lineup of probably Poulter. Let's say, let's go with Poulter, Washington, Obogu, Plummer, Robinson, Justine Wongarantes, and then either opposite. So either Annie Drews or Jordan Thompson. That's a VNL winning lineup right there. I you think, think that, so? Yeah, I do. I, I think that this team has winning Volleyball Nations League as, as their main goal. And it's not quite the same as last year having like come back from such a layoff and having to look to the Olympics. Um, they'll, they'll get some young people in the mix, but with the way the world rankings are now, like you, you, can't, you can't play the B team all the time in VNL. I think Karch is going to come out and try and win this tournament. And uh, some, some of the new faces will, will help, but I think... I think that's kind of the core for the future. You've got the three setters. You got Retke coming in, in the middle. You got Plummer coming in on the left side. You might need to develop maybe one other or two other like Olympic caliber or Olympic backup caliber outside hitter player. But this this USA team is ready to go back and win this tournament again. I really think so. I don't disagree with that. Um, I do. I am gonna. I am foreseeing like a bit of a a lack of leadership 
especially without a, a you know a Kinorado. Uh, however yeah, you say Hurricane Rodwell, Larson, Barchakley. Yeah, the, I, I agree. That they're they're going to need to have a player step up to be that character. And, they, and I just I, don't, I don't know, I just exactly don't who that's know who it's going to be. Right be. Yeah, exactly. Plus, on the, on the same side, like Jordan Poulter is on this roster, but is she 100% healthy? Right? She was ultimately the starting setter for, that, for them at the Olympics. Like, is bringing Lauren Carlini back into that fold a good idea? Sure. Right? We, we've, 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 you know, Maybe there's some resentment after being off the left off the Olympic squad uh, in the first place. I mean, I know we're going to talk about it on the men's side how there's yeah, some players who, I, I, who, who I aren't think, really there, but uh, I think that affects the men a lot more than it affects the women. I think the program and the culture that Karch has built is a lot more resistant to any of that dramatic garbage than the men's is. Mm-hmm. But but and, and ultimately for for me on the left side, like you're saying that Catherine Plummer needs to be the P one. We've seen her struggle being that P1 position this year in Canigliano, right? We've seen her really struggle taking on a, a big load for them. And ultimately she's still doing it as, as their second option. So for me, like Jordan Larson was always such as just an outlet and you knew that she was there and she, you know, that she was dependable, but she's, she was never the kind of outlet that an Egonu or a hack or a Boscovich are. And she oh, never no, had absolutely to be. Not. This is, this is how USA wins games. It's how we won the Olympics with, balance every one of the five attackers is a threat all the time there, there's no there is no defined outlet we don't have that opposite that demands that kind of a set load we have two of them who demand like half that level of a set load like like neither <laughs> neither any drews nor jordan thompson are going to get 60 balls a game the way hawk and Igono and boscovich do like that's just not the way usa is built so you never have to have a player take over a game like some of those national teams who build around that one opposite do. You don't have that on the USA. That's not how the system works. Yeah, but still, we've seen Plummer like disappear at times. Like she's been very hot and cold. She's like um, twenty-four. Give her a break, dude. I, I'm <laughs> just saying. I, I'm just saying that. Like, I don't know how. Like, if we're talking specifically for this VNL, like, I'm not talking about is she going to be an all-time player. I'm not talking about you know can she lead this team to a world championship in the fall. I'm talking about strictly VNL. Right. And exactly. She is a young player. So she does have to learn that she does have to learn to be that number one, uh, like that, that P one at this level. So that's, that's what I'm saying and, in this situation. I think that there's, there's going to be a little bit of learning and it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I think you should remember back to last year's VNL where Catherine Plummer is one of the best young players in that tournament and played so well in, in the minutes she was given that she really made an argument for herself to be included on the Olympic team, even with, Barch, Larson, Kim Hill, Kelsey Robbins, like even with those players who had been there before, Catherine Plummer played so well in the national team system last year that she really made a great case for herself to go to Tokyo. She didn't, but now with so many of those players off the top of the depth chart, this this outside hitter position is hers for the next 10 years if she can sustain her level. And she really does succeed in that system as most American players do. Karch has built a system that, really gets the best out of people and i have a lot of faith in plumber this summer that is true the national team system is inherently different than the, than the club system completely and the, the the national team game is so much more specific um and so much more well researched uh than the club game where you know maybe physicality athleticism and overall skill are you know much higher a higher value than than the team game um 
I mean, ultimately, I think the USA is always going to be a threat. They're always going to be a metal threat, especially as being the number one team in the world right now. Um, they just have a little bit of changes, and I'm interested to see how it goes for you guys. Yeah, me too. And uh, they will be hosting, but I will not be there. I will try my best not to watch and not support that garbage of a hosting site as best I can. We had somebody in the Discord. Oh, my God, this blew my mind. Somebody in the Discord who bought tickets to go see VNL in Shreveport, Bossier City, Louisiana. And it was like 80 bucks a ticket with fees for terrible seats. What are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing here? You're trying to get people out to such just a a garbage hole of a town, and then you're going to charge them that much? God, USA Volleyball, get it together, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the ticket prices are like in Ottawa. I'm sure they're going to be somewhat decent. Um, I mean, but... It's going to be such a better viewing experience in every way in Ottawa. I can't wait. And Ottawa's done it for like a number of years. Yeah, I know. You've done it before. And like that, that stadium specifically, they love bringing in volleyball and it's, it's, it's going to be fun. We'll see if Volleyball Canada, um, you know, actually promoted it and sold any tickets. <laughs> haven't really seen anything from them. There's been a couple uh, of Instagram posts, maybe a post on the website. That's about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, we've talked about it before. Big swing in the miss by the USAV of putting the defending uh, Olympic champions somewhere like that. Why not put them in SoCal? Why not put them in Chicago? Why not put them? Why not put them in Madison Square Garden? You know, Oof. like g- g- shoot for the stars, not for the boonies. Like that's that's exactly <laughs> what's happening right now. Like like everything that. everything about volleyball is just so mid, and this is exactly like this is the exact 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 situation to show that this is worse than mid. God, so bad. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the men because this this is this is, this is a big this one. Is a All big right. One. All right, yeah. so the men are undergoing a significant retool for VNL. So here's how I break down this roster. Notable omissions, Matt Anderson, Max Holt, and Taylor Averill. Now, what I want to make clear about those three players is that their jersey numbers, 1, 12, and 19, respectively, have not been given away to anybody else. That tells me Big that they... Point that they are still in the mix with the national team and that I expect them to be back for the world championships in August and September. So you, like, there's no number one, there's no number 12, there's no number 19 for VNL. Those will be retaken by Anderson, Holt, and Averill um, when they come back for world championships. I'm kind of surprised that Averill's taking this tournament off. Uh, I'm not at all surprised that Anderson and Holt are taking this tournament off. It's well-deserved for those guys at this point in their careers. Is, is Averill injured at all? Not that I know of. Uh, I mean, he finished out the season with Olsten, and I my understanding was that that he was healthy, but I'm not totally sure. Okay, fair enough. Just just asking because that that might be the, the only question there. But yeah, um, I fully you know I I would expect to see him in in, in this roster for the World Championships, and you know going back too. to last year, he was one of my surprise omissions from from the Olympic roster. Agreed. So the other some of the other omissions from this team whose jersey numbers have been given away and therefore I expect to be rather permanently out of the mix. Uh, Taylor Sander, that, that, that we've talked about that one a lot. I don't expect him back anytime soon. No. His, his jersey number three has been given away. Um, Brendan Sanders' jersey number has been given away. I think he's kind of done with indoor. Kavika Shoji's jersey number has been given away. I think uh, his national team career is probably over at this point. Um, Dustin Watton's jersey number has been given away. His career as the backup libero is probably over. I mean, he's he's older than Eric Shoji and not as good, so 
Um, I, I don't blame him there. And then Ben Patch, his jersey number has been given away. He not only is he almost definitely done with the national team, I'm hearing that he might be retiring from volleyball entirely. So, whoa, what? Yeah, that, that that's that's another conversation for sure. But that that has been what I've heard that he won't even go back to Berlin next year. Well, he'll go back and live in Berlin, but I don't even think he's going to play. Which is crazy. wow. I mean, I was just about to ask, like, is, is that a big loss for you guys? You know, I, I thought no. like like. You no. don't. You don't his, think his, so. His relationship with the national team is completely shattered and can never be repaired. He will never, never wear a USA jersey ever again. I promise. Wow. At okay. least as long as Spira is the coach. Maybe a miracle happens down the road. But we, next, we now have, we now have Gabby Garcia, who's going to be ready to play in the Olympics in 2024. So is uh, is he? But he's not on this roster. He can't be. You're not allowed to travel. He, he can't compete in tournaments until 2024. Oh wait, you're right. Sorry, sorry, you're yeah, right. He can't be on this roster. So <laughs> that's he, that's a that's an obvious that's he, an obvious. Well, I, I, I'm I'm glad you were confused by that because other other people might be, and I wanted to make that clear. Gabby Garcia Fernandez renationalizing from Puerto Rico to the USA cannot suit up in a tournament for Team USA until 2024. He can he can be in the gym. He can practice with the guys, but he can't play tournaments until 2024. So that's why he's not on this roster. Fair enough. Uh, now, also, also Micah Ma'a, not on this roster. His jersey number was given away. Um, neither is Joe Worsley, Gage Worsley. You guys talked about this a little bit, but they had their, a full podcast episode on Out of System where they talked about their choices not to come back to the national team. So we don't need to go over that. They already went over that directly from the source. So go listen 100%. to that. What are, what are a few, like, you know, you obviously heard what Dan and I talked about. Can we talk about some of the surprise additions to this team? Namely, number three, James Shaw coming back in that at the setter position. Absolutely blew my mind. Out of left field. It blew my mind. James Shaw has not played indoor volleyball in at least four years. Yeah. And the last time he did, he was the backup opposite on Zaxa and only played half the year. He was he, he started at Padova for yeah uh, like, I think that's a what, year like, that was his first year yeah he played with Stephen Mari played for ta- with Taylor Averill that year then he was the backup to uh, Luciano DeCecco on Perugia but like then after after going to Zaxa being the backup opposite let's see I'm looking at his volley box no, he played for Narbonne and then he played for Narbonne Piacenza and, I don't ever remember him being on Piacenza I don't think he ever played there i don't think he suited up there i don't think that ever happened he tried the beach briefly mm-hmm. but really to me from following him and, and so he's james shaw is my age i saw him play all, all growing up he's he was a born 94 he was on the same club team as ben patch my 18s year which was just a ridiculous cheat code um but he went to stanford was really fun to watch big crazy physical setter he was up so high contacting the ball that he was setting 31s downwards it was crazy and i, I always loved watching him but once he got overseas, it, it was it was the combination of injuries and excuses, and his career just never went anywhere. Despite getting way bigger and better contracts than he ever deserved, because he's Don Shaw's son, like his father is a big deal, and he's super well connected. That he was still able to get these contracts. Like who gets a who gets a contract on Zaxa, their first season after changing positions? Like that's not a thing. That should not be a thing that happens. So, and I think it's for the same reason that after. Going, trying, trying out the beach, n- not catching on there, doing anything positive. That the, the same reason he's back in the indoors because he's just connected and he comes from a powerful volleyball family. There's no other reason I can see for bringing back in a 28 year old who hasn't played indoor in three years as a setter 
after switching positions away from setting. This does not make any sense to me. Do you think it shows kind of the lack of depth in that position in, in the U.S. In, in general, especially without, you know, like two of potentially two of the best setters in the country turning the national team down? Well, Mike Amaa, I, I understand. He was a national team level prospect. Joe Worsley was not. He's the same in the same age group as Maa and Tuaniga and is just way too small compared to those two guys and not like better than those two guys at any one skill to have ever seen court time over them. So I'm not that surprised about Joe Worsley's choice. I am kind of surprised about Mike Amaa's choice, but hearing him talk about it, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, and after we go after we go down the rest of the roster, I want to I want to bring it back to that point about why about the the national team program losing its appeal and the the just the the cost benefit analysis of playing for the national team not being what it used to be. But also on the other side of it, like being an out of system looks like the best gig in volleyball right now. It looks like they're having a blast. They're going across the country. They're making videos. They are like the peak of volleyball right well, that's now. That's exactly so what really I mean. Bad. That's exactly what I mean is that if the if the US national team, if like that's the that should be the pinnacle of what you can possibly do in the game. And if the US national team can't do more for you than just you know, driving in a van and playing grass tournaments over the summer, then that's a failure of the national team program, in my opinion. Well, I think it's ultimately a failure, in my opinion. It's a failure, failure of all international volleyball in total. Yeah. Right? Because we, we've talked about how dedicated you have to be to be on the national team. And you're not getting paid, really, to, to do this type no. of stuff. You're staying in, like maybe not the best housing you're traveling the world it's you're playing a lot of matches like you don't get an off season so even though they're traveling in a van to all these tournaments you know that their off season is much more of an off season than if you're playing for the national team like this is this is exactly why like i think the national team would be a much more appealing factor if you had limit more more limited of events like do we really need the VNL? Like, yes, do yes, we do we need the VNL? Yes. But at the end of the day, do we need the, these rules where you have to have so many of your superstars to play because we're just burning them out? Yeah. Well, we, we talk about it a lot. Uh, we, we mistreat our athletes horribly in the sport of volleyball. They deserve time off. And guys like Matt Anderson and Max Holt fully deserve the time off that they're getting. So back to this roster, uh, a couple of guys, a couple of familiar faces that are back. Uh, Aaron Russell is back in the mix. Thank goodness. I can't wait to see him in a USA jersey again. Um, TJ DeFalco and Thomas Jeschke. Th- those three will be the core of the outside hitter position well, going th- forward. Th- so that's my big question for you here, Rob. On the Canadian national team, the setting position is where the big battle is. For me, looking at this roster, it has to be among the outside hitters. You know, Russell is going to want to get reestablish himself. Jay's get a great season. So did DeFalco. So to me, like for for you, who are you going to be see as the two guys starting for this team in the VNL? I think that it'll be Russell and DeFalco. Uh, I, I I think that they have they have that more prototypical national team build when, when you don't have like without Matt Anderson on this team, we're going to be bad at opposite. Like no matter, no matter what you say. And as good as Jeshke was this year, and as much as I just love that kid so much being from Chicago, the out of system scoring potential is better for, especially for Aaron Russell, but for, I think for TJ DeFalco as well, more so than Jeshke. And that it is all dependent on Russell getting back into the mix, getting back into the program, getting back to the system, and becoming healthy. Um, 
But the, those three guys, uh, Russell, DeFalco, and Jeschke, I expect to see a lot of time combined. Uh, in meaningful matches, it will, it will always be some combination of two of those three guys. I do not understand why Garrett Mangatutia continues to see time on these rosters. It makes no sense. The man is playing in Egypt, for God's sakes. Like he's not taking his club career seriously enough to keep making these rosters. It makes no sense. I hope that he sees no court time, but of course we're talking about John Sparrow. Bonatutia went to UCLA, therefore he will eat away court time from a young prospect that deserves it. It's stupid. It makes no sense. What about a three outside system like we're seeing for Italy, like we're seeing for Dude, Tantino? I don't hate it. Play Jeschke to Falco and then put Russell opposite the setter. I would love I love to see that innovation. It, it lines up so well. We see Russell like slide over and hit D ball for the U.S. in transition and goofy plays all the time. Like he can bang on the right side. And not and to mention, you have Michael Christensen there, who's going to exactly. be able to set that type of offense. Right? I would like, love that. Spread I really it like would. peanut butter. Yeah, I, um, I really would love to see it. So speaking of Mike and Christensen, he's back. Thank God. Can't wait to see him play again. But. The second setter position now without Kavika Shoji is wide open. I think it would be by default. It would go to Josh Tuininga. We'll get a decent number of touches. But uh, instead of James Shaw, who I hope we don't see very much at all, uh, Quinn Isaacson, the other setter on this roster, like you and Dan were talking about, we didn't know who he was. He's set for Ball State this year. Okay. He is young, and he is awesome. I really hope that he gets some touches. I think that of the NCAA American setters this year, it, it was him and um, and the UCLA kid whose name I don't remember, unfortunately. They, those are the two the two best American setters in the NCAA this year. Uh, Bryce Dvorak for Pepperdine, who actually played for Emil this past week and winning VLA Cup, was just behind them. Uh, Aiden Knipe did not have a good year, and then past that, there's not much good many good American setters in the NCAA. But Quinn Isaacson is really good, and just because he goes to Ball State, like nobody knows who he is. But I hope that he gets. A little bit of run, a little bit of run this VNL. I would much rather see him over James Shaw. All right. What about on the opposite position? You mentioned Anderson not, not being there. You have a few, like basically your three option guys are all guys who play in lesser leagues who have never really, never really been able to make a name for themselves uh, elsewhere. Now, my guy, I think I would go with Kyle Russell. Mm-hmm. But, but. A legend on the Discord is Mr. Jay Canes, and it's usually in jest. However, Adenus has been reporting that he was the big factor, basically, for the team that was looking to be winning the Polish League One and to getting that that promotion into the Pusliga. Is there a possibility that we are going to see the flightless wonder, Mr. <laughs> uh, Mr. Jay Canes, suit up for the U.S. national team? Yeah, we like to meme about Jake Haynes a lot on the Discord because watching him is so hilarious. He's so big and astonishingly unathletic. But uh, Adonis is right. He did have a really good year, uh, the back half of the year for uh, his team that did win the Polish second division and, and is getting promoted to the Plus Liga. Uh, Ryan Kunin, another American outside hitter, was on that team as well. Um, I think. Oh, boys, I, I, let's go. I, I think we could. I think we could see Jake Haynes. It's not impossible. Uh, I think we already know what you get out of Kyle Ensing. I mean, he made last year's Olympic team for a reason because of how steady he is. But I mean, the man's playing in Israel. That's a significantly lesser league, and he's never going to physically dominate anyone. I'm with you, Everett. Uh, I would like to see Kyle Russell get serious run. He's as he's big, physical, jumps really high, has a great arm. He's like the prototypical opposite build. He just like totally fits the the look and the play style 
of what you kind of need an international opposite to be these days. And he's not as he's not as polished and he's not quite as controlled as as like a, as, as an Anderson is, at least in his prime. But he's got the high contact point. He's got the physicality. And he just played in a Korean league where they really grind you physically and expect a ton of production out of you, despite against significantly inferior block and competition. Uh, Kyle Russell is my personal favorite opposite of these three. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's his job to lose. Um, like you've said, like he he's mostly been playing in Korea. I know that he did have uh, a couple of good seasons with Berlin. Um, and, yeah. and got and put up put up some good numbers uh, with them, but yeah, I think this is Kyle Russell's job to lose. Uh, ultimately, I think he would be a good backup right side to uh, to Anderson. Like we saw him go on that what is it eight eight, eight, uh, eight straight eight yeah. serving run in in Korea this year, so you know that he can bomb from the baseline. There's just no other opposite in the gym right now who's no. not named Gabby Garcia who has that power. Nobody 100%. else has that arm talent. Nobody else can hit the ball that hard. Nobody else can score out a system like that and Russell on a good day can't and I think yeah. for that reason he deserves but some run ultimately Russell with Michael Christensen setting him too I think can as well right and I think that uh, like we could see that he can put away the ball consistently being one of the top uh, hitters in Korea and when you go to play in Asia like that and you're the only foreigner you're expected to produce on a regular basis and he does from everywhere right, right. so once you have uh, Michael Christensen into that mix, dishing him that butter, and you've got a full team around him. Like Kyle Russell, maybe even like uh, maybe it's too early to say this, but he has the potential of even being a better option than Anderson is at this point. I don't know. I would not say that, but uh, Russell has never broken through in the national team to the point where he's gotten to play with Mike Christensen before. And like you're saying, Christensen is the caliber of setter to make everybody around him look better. So I'm very excited to see that. Now, uh, I, I wanted to segue into the middle position, which is okay. Probably, I was I was going to ask you about that. Things. Yeah, okay. exactly. So the three guys who we've seen before: David Smith, Jeff Jandrick, and Mitch Stahl. Um, so without without Max Holt, without Taylor Averill, you're going to see a lot of those three guys. Um, Smith is hopefully going to take some time off, well deserved. I mean, he's playing Champions League this weekend, and VNL starts like immediately after. Um, but I'm really excited that Patrick Gasman got this call. Uh, he had a good year in Brazil. Uh, otherwise, he would have been at VLA Cup this past weekend, but he wasn't because he's in the national team gym. That's good news. And then uh, younger prospects than that, both Merrick McHenry and Tyler Mitchum have potential. Uh, Mitchum in particular, he's 6'11". He's got the oh, yeah. size. He's an unreal attacker, and his blocking has really, really improved. Uh, uh, McHenry is a little smaller but more dynamic, but Mitchum is just the big, giant stud like, project middle character that I think the national team could really use. Yeah, hundred percent. I remember watching him when he played for Lewis, when he, when he came Can-Am, up here and he yeah. was, yeah. And he was definitely one of the best gym, middles in the gym. Um, he's big, he's, he's physical. Uh, he's got some room to grow in terms of his overall game. Um, but he has all of the physical attributes. And I mean, we've seen it before, especially in the middle. If you have the physical attributes, you don't necessarily have to have the all around gameplay. Uh, but he's, he's really good and he's really physical. If you have to pick one guy between Mitch, like for me, it's Mitchum and Gassman. Uh, I don't really know anything about McHenry, so uh, I'm going to go with the two guys I know. Who do you pick between Mitchum and, and Gassman? Gassman, because he's played elite volleyball this year. Uh, McHenry, or sorry, Mitchum just making the jump from the NCAA. That is 
a heck of a lot bigger of a jump than playing like than starting in Brazil and playing world club championships and like everything that Gassman has, has now done. And he, he played for Hawaii. He played at a higher level in the, in the NCAA than Mitchum did. So uh, I, I am glad that Gassman is in this mix. And with the absence of Holt and Avril on this roster, I think he's really going to get some minutes and he deserves it. Uh, he's that caliber of a player and he's got that one year of international under his belt. That makes a big difference in the VNL. Fair enough. I but at the same time, you know, Tyler Mitchum might be have that upside, right? Oh yeah. And if you're and if you're looking to round out that middle roster, like David Smith, you're probably not making a run to to, to 2024. He thinks um, he is. Uh, he, that's that's his okay. plan. But I don't know if that will be the best option for the USA in Paris. Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Right, right. seeing right. Um, although he does. I thought his drop off after last year to this year was going to be significant, and I haven't really seen much, to be honest. Yeah, he's played so, great. He's played he, great I, I, I think year. he's played. He played. He's played great for 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 Zaxa. So that might be my only question because you know, I think ultimately I, I agree with you, Tyler or Pat Gasman is the better player right now. But we both know the ceiling is there for Mitchum. Yep. Uh, talking about the libero position really quickly. So now that Dustin Watton seems to have moved on, it's uh, it's up to two guys in this roster to take that second libero spot. Either Kyle Dagest. Now out of Stanford, who's about twenty six, or yeah, Mason, or Mason Briggs, who's around. still who's still at Long Beach State, and because of the age factor, I hope that Briggs gets more minutes than than D'Agostino does. Uh, he's got the upside, and there's at least a chance that when Eric Shoji hangs it up, which uh, hopefully won't be until after LA in twenty twenty eight. Briggs will ha- will still be in a point in his career where he might be able to come in and be that guy. D'Agostino right now is just too old and the, his overlap with Eric Shoji just won't line up in a way that he'll ever really get to be that guy for the national team. So I think this is Briggs's spot from age alone. I definitely don't think he's ready to play on the national team yet, um, but maybe... But yeah, isn't, isn't this the same situation as we just had with the middles where you've got yeah. one guy who's battle-tested professionally yep. and another guy coming from the NCAA? But but at at libero, I think it's a totally different story. Considering the who else is in the pipeline elsewhere in the mix, Shoji is the guy. You will never okay. there will never be a meaningful USA match not started by Eric Shoji at libero until after the twenty twenty eight Olympics at the soonest. Uh, so it, it it doesn't matter who who comes in after that. You're going to be a backup on the roster, and I want those guys to learn as much in the gym as they can because in meaningful tournaments Shoji is going to be playing every point of every match. In the middle it's a totally different story. Okay, fair enough. I like that. I like I like that response. Um is there any guy on this list uh, on like the new guys that we're actually going to be seeing in the gym? Like I don't expect to be see, seeing Spencer Olivier no, playing VNL, you know, none, none of these younger guys as much as I love Cody Kessel is he really going to crack that lineup? Maybe not. I think he's the fifth outside hitter. Uh, I think it's Russell. No, oh, never mind. Russell DeFalco. Uh, Rus- Russell DeFalco, Jeshki Mangatutia, for better or for worse. And then I think Kessel's the fifth guy. And I like seeing a guy like Cody Kessel who's grinded throughout his career, who's improved, who's played good club volleyball in a good league, get rewarded with a look at the national team. And again, this is probably a, a, a function of who his father is. Uh, John Kessel has an extremely high amount of influence, and it's, it's sort of the same factor for, for James Shaw. But Kessel deserves this, and I don't think James Shaw does. Um, so Kessel might get a little bit of time just from, from the sheer effort that he's put into his career, and he's a great guy, and I'm really happy for him getting this. But he's not a national team caliber outside hitter. His, the things he lacks are passing, 
and arm talent. He uh, doesn't pass the ball as well, and his arm is not good, despite being just phenomenally athletic. Um, his 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 arm is not not good enough to score at this level. So I do think he'll get a little bit. He'll he'll make the team to travel, but I think that uh, the dominant number of minutes for this VNL are going to come from Russell, DeFalco, and Jeski, with then a little bit of Magatutia when you need some passing. I think it's really going to be those four guys. The guys coming up that so Brett Wildman, Will Rotman, Spencer Olivier on this roster. I think they're good to include. Brett Wildman has the most potential of those three. And he's the only one I think there's a chance that we see even dress for VNL. Fair enough. Yeah. On the, the Cody Kessel side of things, he's been playing for Berlin for the past few seasons, sometimes starting, sometimes not. You he know, just not... extended there. He's going back next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So congratulations on him. But you're, you're absolutely right. Like I could see him as kind of filling in some numbers, but not necessarily being a guy. Rob, is this a team that can compete with the best? No. Uh, not at all. Not not without Matt Anderson, not without Max Holt. Uh, you might be able to survive in the middle with Dave Smith and either Mitch Stahl or Jeff Jendrick. Uh, you, you've obviously got still my pick for the best setter in the world. You've got a world-class libero. Uh, you might get something good out of your outsides if you play the right combination of Russell, DeFalco, and Jeschke, but only Russell has that top 10 in the world potential. Uh, and, and we know he's not even close to that point right now. Um, but without without an opposite, without without a top 15, top 20 even opposite in the world, this team is not going to win VNL. And that's OK. Uh, th- this this is a building sort of summer for VNL. This is a, a chance to get some guys time with the senior A team with Micah Christensen passing next to Eric Shoji. Like get those guys like don't just send them to Norseekas as a B team and see how they do. Play them with the starters and see how it goes. See what real potential there is when you're playing alongside the core of your team for the next two quads. And the the opposite, the lack of of Matt Anderson will will provide a, a pretty significant ceiling on this team, unless Spira somehow pulls the level of creativity to do the three outside hitter thing. Give it a try. I would love to see it. I don't see it happening. It's not not something I would ever see in Spira's character to run that system. So. I, I expect this this USA team to be okay at VNL. I think they'll go middle of the pack. And of the 16 teams, I would be thrilled if they made the top eight and go to the finals. But I, I don't know if I expect that. Fair enough. I, I like that answer. Anything? Is there anything else that we've missed from this team? Is there anything? Is there anyone you think has been omitted? Uh, any people left off uh, that I, we haven't discussed? I'm trying to think of some opposites, and there just really aren't any. Uh, we, do, we already talked about Ben Patch a little bit. I think Jalen Penrose might have deserved at least a look. Uh, I, I, I talked to him this past weekend. He got a call, but they they, they chose not to bring him in. Uh, I, I think he's he's the same position in that in that way as Cody Kessel, where he's grinded mm-hmm. through his professional career and he's played in decently good leagues and he's produced well and he's clearly taken his professional career seriously a lot more seriously than a Kyle Ensing or a James Shaw who still made this roster but uh, Penrose just didn't isn't the name and doesn't have the the like he's not a west coast guy he's not like that SoCal prototypical guy who the national team just really always fawns over so I think Penrose was left off for that reason Past that, I, I, I'm okay with this roster. Uh, the, the guys that they brought in, like the young guys from the NCAA they brought in to at least get touches, I think are good. Um, I know there's even more than that that are in the gym who just weren't named to the 25-man roster. So uh, 
I, I'm okay with this. My expectations for this USA team are honestly just not that high. Uh, I think that world championships this year, uh, medal is possible, maybe, but you're really going to have to develop two elite-level outside hitters from what you've got right now and then get Anderson and Holt back in the mix. Fair enough. Now, there's reports as well that uh, you guys are going to be bringing on another assistant coach. Um in the form is it Javier Weber who's who's yeah. coming in to be yeah, to be your guys' that. assistant coach alongside Sprawl? Is that something that's needed? You know, the American program for so long has been so American. Do they need that outside perspective to maybe shake things up a little bit? I don't hate it. Uh it, it's certainly what we've seen from Team USA the last couple major tournaments has not worked at all, uh, particularly the Olympics. So uh bring in a guy with another perspective. Yeah, Javier Weber. Javier Weber has coached all around the world in so many different systems. I think he's Argentinian, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, so I, I'm I'm all about it. I see what what sort of different approach he can bring to the gym. See if Spira takes some inspiration from him. A guy that's been in pro club volleyball for a lot longer, in like seeing different national team styles. I think it's great. I think it's a good addition. We'll see how much visible impact it has. Do you have any feeling that the USA is just kind of biding their their time? Like, do you see like any of these young guys they're bringing into the program really making an impact in the future? No, that's that's the short answer. Uh, I think you've got you've got enough young middles in Jendrick and Stahl, and then Averill, who's slightly older, to survive through LA twenty twenty eight. I think you've got you've got Christensen and Shoji. Through LA 2028, I think you've got Russell DeFalco and Jeshke through LA 2028. Uh, I think you've got Anderson through 2024, and then you've got Garcia after him to build around. So that's great. After Shoji, we'll need a libero. After Christensen, we'll need a setter. But we've got six years to figure those things out. And the kids that are coming in the pipeline right now, I don't see it. I think uh, like, like we talked about a couple weeks ago when we're talking about the, the down down period NCAA right now and just the way the USA pipeline got kind of decimated by COVID when it wasn't all that good of a system to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a couple of years to start producing Olympic caliber players again. And fortunately, until that catches up, we have Olympic caliber players now. So what, what's what so I'm not worried about Paris. I'm not even worried about LA. I think we'll be able to survive those two Olympics, if not make maybe make a run at a medal. After LA, we're going to need some real, real legitimate new talent in, and it, we'll we'll see that in the next three to four years. I don't see it right now, and that's okay. Fair enough. Very thorough. Is there anything else to mention about about this roster? I don't think so. I think we covered it. Um, I think it's it's pretty clear what guys you're going to see when matches matter, and I'm curious to see the approach. Of, of the balance between trying to win matches with good rosters and getting guys some minutes. I don't really know. Uh, I, I think that now with the, with the world rankings the way that they are, uh, you've got to prioritize winning matches more than the USA usually does at VNL. Uh, and our world ranking, I think we're seventh right now. And we're going to have to play a lot of starters, a lot of this tournament to avoid that slipping down even further. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Spira's hand is going to be forced to play his guys more in this VNL than he probably would like to. But I think that's a good thing. I think we mess around in this tournament too much. 
there, there aren't enough tournaments that the USA takes seriously and actually tries to win. It's really only two. It's really only world championships and Olympics. And I think that this team needs to remember and relearn how to win consistently. And so I think if Spira were to play the guys more, I think that would be a step in the right direction. And I think the system is going to force him to do that. So that might be a good thing. I mean, hey, but for all we know, it could just be a whole lot of Garrett Maggitutia this summer. <laughs> Stop that. You're putting me in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for that breakdown. Um, VNL gets kicked off in less than a month. Uh, we are going to be in Ottawa is June 6th, June 7th. Um, yeah, June 7th. So, yeah, we, were, we are going to be in Ottawa. And, uh, yeah, I'm stoked for it. It's going to be a good time. Can't wait. Uh, I love national team season. Uh, I can't wait to see teams suiting up for their countries. And I can't it's wait also going to be your again. first VNL. I've, like I've, I've been to VNL, okay, but I've, yeah. I've, ne- I've been there. I've just been there as a fan where I buy tickets and watch the games. I've never been there inside the ropes before, and I'm so excited about Ottawa. All right. Well, should be a good time. All right, guys, that should be that should wrap it up pretty much for uh, the nine by nine for this week. It was an extra long episode because we had to break down Team USA uh, heading into uh, the the VNL season. Big big weekend this weekend for uh, the Champions League. League. Rob, I do think that if we should, can find some time, you, me, and Dan should jump on uh, some sort of preview show just to, just to, just to break it all down. Um, just to break it all, all down a little bit more before things go down. Um, if you're new to the uh, Discord, welcome. We had a massive influx of people today. We're well over uh, 400 uh, people now from all over, or all around the world. So make sure you check us out uh, on the Volleyball Source Discord. That link should be just below. Um, and make sure you check out the Super Finals this weekend on Sunday, May 22nd. What time did you say it was for the women's noon Eastern time? Noon Eastern for the women and 3 p.m. Eastern for the men. Perfect. Love it. So check us out uh, at the Volleyball Source Discard, and we'll see you uh, next week. Peace. Thanks for watching. Peace.